Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. You know, sometimes I'm in the business of the latest and greatest and up-to-datest in popular culture. More often than that, I'm deep-diving something that happened, I don't know, 20 years ago, or perhaps I'm Be There in Five years behind the premiere of a show that, for some reason, I feel like you guys didn't tell me about. My God, I got hooked on a show over winter break that my sister and I talked about on the episode two weeks ago from Christmas Eve, and it is called Welcome to Plathville. Come to find out, a lot of you were already fans, and while I don't know the exact number, I've gathered since posting about it, a lot of you have taken this show on too. And for trusting me, I'm incredibly grateful. I think, you know, during the sleepy time between Christmas and New Year, sometimes it's nice to have a new show to binge. And I love nothing more than a reality show I can binge with themes that make me cycle through how they affect my own life and think through how I'd respond. And in many cases, unfairly judge the characters for not responding perfectly when I most certainly would not either. As I told you in the episode Duggering Deeper, where after years and years of resisting watching or being interested in the Duggars, I reviewed the movie Shiny ha- or the documentary Shiny Happy People. As an outsider who wanted to know, you know, why this show is such a phenomenon. And I mean, honestly, it confirmed what I knew to be true about a lot of TLC shows. They bum me out. (laughs) I I like the entertainment and escapism reality TV brings, like on Bravo. But with TLC shows, like, they're literally the opposite of escapism. Where I'm watching parents, families with parents literally trap their kids so they can't escape. Or 90-day fiancés trap their latest catch from AnastasiaMatch.com by dangling citizenship over their heads so they'll obey the Americans' relationship terms. You know, sometimes I fear just because they're in hopes of more opportunity than where they came from. And... Typically with these shows, I'll dabble and then see myself out when questionable character, you know, bleeds into criminal behavior, like with the Duggars. But what's interesting about the Plaths, at least with the exception of, you know, Kim's DUI never being addressed on the show, and depending on how you feel about abuse in the context of educational neglect, among other things, they kind of don't fit the mold of a Duggar-type family. And the show doesn't follow an arc like one I've seen before about a strict religious family. It starts as a family unwilling to change at all costs, who have no contact with the secular world, weirdly putting themselves on reality TV to be open to scrutiny of the secular world. But it ends, you know, by the end of season season five, um, costing them a lot. Doing this reality show was at the expense of everything the parents had built in order to keep their kids sheltered and guarded from the rest of the world. And It's tough to say what would have happened had they not had this show. I don't know if it's due to them being on TV or it's a natural progression anyway of an ineffective parenting technique that is, you know, inevitably going to self-implode once the kids become become legal adults. But over the course of five seasons, you watch this family change in many irreconcilable and unrecognizable ways from where it started. And in some cases for the better. So even if you don't think you'll be interested, if you like this podcast, you'll probably like this show, given the various themes that run through it. And 
I mean, at least watch the pilot, season one, episode one, to watch a man child named Ethan, who's 20 years old and who basically starts as Kenneth the Page from 30 Rock with his accent, his dimples, his his gummy smile and general naivete that teeters between charming and obnoxious. And then watch the last episode to witness his slow but incredibly obvious transformation to the viewer into a grisly, grumpy, lifeless man who doesn't like people and wants to be left alone in the Minnesota woods. Kind of like a uh, blonde Ron Swanson, minus the feminism. The first episode, the show opens with parents, Barry and Kim Plath, and their nine kids. Ethan, Hosanna, Micah, Mariah, Lydia, Amber, Isaac, Mercy, and Cassia. They discuss how the Plath kids grew up on this farm, running around barefoot, you know, having cows and horses and having kind of this pure, young, wild and free childhood. And by wild, I mean they are out in the wild without proper footwear, Um, but they're incredibly sheltered and they're purposefully isolated from modern technology while living on their family farm. They abstain from electronics, no TV, no video games, at first no phones. The kids were prohibited from having soft drinks and ice cream. They don't eat any sugar at all. In one scene, the first time I think they had chocolate was because Kim brought it from another country and she saw it as like a cultural experience. And shocking, the children loved the chocolate. Really, this farm, I mean, hopefully it's on the Airbnb description. That is, it's perfect for those allergic to fun. Um, But these kids don't know better. And who am I to say that I think that they actually probably did have a really magical childhood. Because that's the thing, that that the way they approached parenting was as if their kids would stay kids forever. And as you watch the first episode, like they've never heard of Tom Brady or Justin Bieber. They don't really know who Spider-Man is. They they were entirely homeschooled by the mom, Kim, even though we like deep dove IBLP and Gothard and some of that stuff on shiny, happy people. What's interesting about the Plaths is I can't really pinpoint their religious affiliation like I can with the Duggars. Because they mentioned they grew up going to mostly home churches because Kim and Barry had problems with how regular churches were running. And it becomes very clear there's a broader distrust here of the secular world, an institutional distrust where the parents feel like they know what's better for their kids. And after a while, you start to realize the parents basically started a poorly run DIY cult of sorts. I mean, that's the thing about cult leaders. They can't all be winners. We just don't hear enough about the ones who aren't effective. And the the weird part is you kind of start to realize you can't entirely villainize the parents even because while they made questionable and in many cases, what I would argue are abusive choices about raising their kids, over time, they do sometimes seem to love them enough to be open to their evolution and in some cases even learn from them. And this is just part of the confusing mess that is Plathville. I feel like I just framed it like kind of intensely. But the thing is, like, to be clear, this show's a fun watch. Like, as much as it's a think piece for, like, complicated familial dynamics and religious doubt and deconstruction, like, it's also fun and cute and entertaining and at times really sweet. And you really, like, start to want what's best for these characters and get really invested in their journeys. And there's just a plath for everyone. I mean, the parents are psychopaths and one is allegedly a naturopath. And eventually... We even go down a flight path where their cute as a button son Isaac gets to live out every child's dream, where their mom dates their teacher after having a midlife crisis and taking to miniskirts and 
midday group Tybo, maybe. I, it was hard to tell. And throughout this program, I felt just when I thought I had all the answers and knew what had happened, they'd flip the script of this brilliantly unscripted television show and, and just always were keeping me guessing. The show has captivated me. Actually, to get back to the religious piece, because I feel like I don't want to, I'm my head's more in the later seasons, but where I got hooked was where it started. And the, the confusing terms of their faith was a real head scratcher for me. I'm not sure if they were formerly a part of the quiverful movement that encourages families to be, you know, fruitful and multiply and quotes the Old Testament, aka have as many children as possible until you're running a small child laboring, which is what the I believe the Duggars are part of. And Lydia has vehemently denied that they were are at all affiliated with IBLP, uh, like the Duggars. But I mean, there there's so many similarities and even the similarities to Olivia's family, which was part of IBLP, sorry, Instituting Basic Life Principles, which is, you know, a controversial religious organization that really not only prioritizes, but mandates uh, man as the patriarch of a family. It's a very, very strict biblical patriarchy. Uh, women are completely expected to obey the man in home, in school, the workplace, marriage. Um, among other things. And Bill Gothard, who I believe spearheaded this movement, um, his philosophies are all about authority and with questionable parenting practices that are borderline abusive. And it's like kind of the brand of Christianity that glorifies suffering and suggests that that's your core outlet to freedom so that people who live under these rules suffering from a completely miserable existence where especially women and children seem to have absolutely no rights or autonomy. They're, you know, kind of brainwashed to conflate their misery with meaning, believing that these things are not a product of their choices or the unfair treatment of the authority they live under, but that it's part of life and these trials are necessary steps on your way to God's kingdom. It's kind of like Jesus in this form of Christianity is used as like the ultimate what about is internet troll, where even if you're suffering and going through the worst thing ever, it's like, well, Jesus suffered worse. He died not just for you, but all of you. He never sinned and never did anything wrong, but chose to perish anyway. How dare you complain? How dare you think your circumstances are worse? Like any suffering is justified. Speaking of justified, an album I once liked, but now would bulldoze with the fervor of an early 2000s Republican being given a Dixie Chick CD. It's like God is Justin Timberlake, and his response to everything is cry me a river. We're ignoring all the th ways he wronged Britney and assume her sins to be unforgivable, that she was a harlot, that he was an innocent golden boy who just wanted what was best for her. And I just feel like that's a really interesting part of um, the, the fundamentalist world. Like, oh, your mom's being mean to you and won't let you drink Coca-Cola. Like, you're bitter that your entire childhood was robbed because you were forced to mostly do housework for your parents for choices they made and should have to bear the consequences of. Spanning to things much worse. People are gaslit all the time in, like, genuinely harmful situations where People can be responsible for m making you suffer, but use Jesus to shame you into believing that, yeah, you're an ungrateful monster because you'll never suffer as badly as Jesus did. 
And this is where it gets really sad because when you see the shame and self-blame and and like loathing running through a beautiful, kind soul like Lydia, who means well and did nothing wrong, texting, innocently texting on her mom's phone, where she openly like knew she'd have the record of it, like a guy she was interested in at what, 17 years old? She has this like shame spiral. It should disturb us all and remind us how to not talk to kids about um you know, to feel ashamed of the very things that make them human. Well, I don't think Lydia was particularly like a horny teenager. I think she was like horny for handholding. Like she was so well behaved and did everything they asked. And it's so frustrating to watch this shame spiral where she's doing the thing I was talking about earlier with Jesus being the whataboutist internet troll. The way she's receiving her parents' criticism in a religious context is like, wow, I'm so ungrateful. How dare I choose to stumble in my walk in Christ because what did he do? He was betrayed, falsely accused, abandoned, beaten. He, sh- he suffered one of the most excruciating deaths of all time. Do you think he was bitter? Do you think he was mad? Do you think he disobeyed his father by texting his friends? No. His legacy is grounded in a response of forgiveness. He responded to humiliation and suffering with perfect obedience to his father's will. But this is um, this is the system. What happens is you're taught you can only date to marry. And these people marry, marry very young who have no business being married like Ethan and Olivia. And if that's really the priority to date to marry and to marry young, you would think you would let people date to get to know people when you're 17 years old. So how do you even get to know somebody that you can court to fulfill that divine role a woman's supposed to be fulfilling? You can't. By design, you can't get to know people. By design, you can't date and shop around and find the right partner for you. By design, you get stuck into a circumstance you agree to before you have the wherewithal to know better because you're of the age where you're under the authority of people telling you they know better. And that's how people like Kim find themselves in marriages for 25 years and 10 kids later, emotional needs unmet, secular music completely ignored, I didn't want him in the car when I was driving around. You don't have to play them. It was just really a spectacle. It's like, really? A spectacle. Yeah. I wanted to listen to Meatloaf the other day because he was an amazing musician and songwriter and Barry really, really had a problem with me listening to Meatloaf. Because the name of the CD was bat out of hell. To see my wife purchase out of meatloaf, out of hell. And then it said in in there, and back into hell again. I was just like, what in the world, Kim, are you doing? The issue I have is the spirit behind it. It's just... It's just kind of, uh, it's rebellious. It's just, just not, not, not the path I would want my girls on. That's what's interesting about life and what's interesting about Plathville. Like, this is an alarming scene that we don't get to see a lot of where we see Barry's true colors in terms of how controlling he is and how he is the one that has, I think, the really inflexible beliefs about the secular world that Kim kind of had to adopt in order to 
fit into the mold of the type of patriarchy he subscribes to for his family. Um, and what's interesting about this is, you know, Barry didn't want his daughters on, you know, a path path to rebellion, only in season five to go to a tattoo parlor with his daughter, Mariah, where she gets a giant, hideous rebel forearm tattoo. But it makes Sheena Shea's It's All Happening forearm tattoo look demure. Like, I think the hard part about Mariah's rebellion is that it, it's, it's more like personal branding than I think what is actually going on. I mean, that tattoo in general, I don't think against tattoos, but I think like the word rebel, maybe it's my associating it with the Confederacy. Maybe it's the font. <laughs> maybe it's the size. I'm not entirely sure. I can't quite explain this, but that tattoo feels like a hate crime. Um, beyond that, like, I think there are glimpses of Mariah and oh God, there's too, like so much to cover. I, don't, I can't even like get into all the characters. Um, and I'm hopping all over. Sorry, we were on Barry. But what I'll say about Mariah is that she was like one of my favorites. I think she had a lot of ups and downs. I think it was at times heartwarming and hard and like cringy and frustrating to watch her try to adapt to the world when she was so unequipped. Um, but then she would be so incredibly strong and articulate and she really got it. Like when Max pushed back on her wearing revealing clothing, like she really understood why that wasn't her fault and stood up for herself and explained that she's not just here to be looked at. Like she's just existing. And I thought she handled that beautifully. I understand how hard a heartbreak with the first love is. And there's so much more to that Max story. I don't think we'll ever know. But I used to talk to him on Instagram and he's married now and has a stepkid. So who the hell knows? But anyway, uh, I thought this one of the early scenes where her and Max first kissed was. It was very um, telling to me, at least I guess maybe at the face she was then, but like she stopped like she was already like in this alleged rebellious phase. Right. And she stopped him in the middle to like to pray. And it kind of broke my heart because up until that point, I kind of thought that wasn't her vibe. Because she presented herself as kind of like this black sheep who completely wanted to take a chance, make a change, break away. But thought it was poignant that as hard as she tried to brand herself that way, and whether it's her indoctrination or the genuine contents of her heart, I'll never know. But who she still was showed up, not in her words or her tattoos or whatever, but in her reflexes. And part of me thinks like she wanted to get Mary Young and Mary Max. And I think that her resentment for her parents was like nowhere near as deep seated as Olivia's because it's her family. And um, I, I don't know. It's like part of me feels a little sad uh, about Mariah and Micah's boomerang. Mariah's, you know, baptism in the swamp. I don't know if she's returning to f fundy principles or maybe just back to her faith and Christianity, which is fine, too. Like, I, do, I think some people deconstruct and realize they want a like different type of relationship with God, with Jesus, with whoever it is. I think some people reject it entirely, like Olivia. But yeah, it's kind of like, I almost feel like the only person who made it out of this unscathed was Micah. Like, but anyway, that random Barry clip about Meatloaf, like, I don't know. It just stuck out to me as him being like, quietly and kindly, incredibly controlling, which is almost more insidious than being in overtly uh, controlling. and. Um, just, yeah, it was an example of seeing Kim be like kind of powerless and an early sign of her being like frustrated and dismissive toward his 
I don't think she actually at that point like respected at all that he wanted to remain isolated from the secular world. I mean, the most perfect episode or season opener of a reality show season I've ever seen in my life in the history of the world is season four. When Lydia is singing gospel, she overhears the Beastie Boys, goes downstairs, and her m- mom is in a miniskirt and dancing with the daughters. Uh, and while she's talking a lot about how she loves to dance and is passionate for dance, and they're wearing Dancing with the Stars shoes, are they doing more than pumping their elbows side to side? No. And that's a beautiful thing because that's a type of dance I can get behind and I would actually excel at. Oh, you know what I forgot to say? I wanted to just talk with a friend about all the characters and not like structure this as a normal deep dive, rather like a friend chat. So I invited Caroline Moss, Mama Slay at the lake to uh, chat with me about it because she's been watching for a long time and I wanted her perspective. And Caroline doesn't have like experience in evangelical circles like I do. I kind of come at these things from like a heavy bias and I'm more likely to agree with somebody like an Olivia and I kind of wanted her take. But anyway, Caroline and I talk a lot about Kim. So I'll kind of withhold my thoughts. And we kind of feel differently about her. Initially, Caroline was supposed to be on Patreon. And I I was like, going to do this solo. But then I was like, actually, her insight, I think, is really helpful. And I I don't want to be the only person that has a take here, especially because we're all such a house divided on these characters. And I need another perspective. So what I did was, yeah, I recorded my part. And then the second hour is an interview with Caroline and I talking about it. And then um, the rest of the conversation, it's like 40 more minutes. It's on patreon.com slash be there in five. But if if you're anything like me and just sank hours of your life into, you know, powering through five seasons of Flathville, I'm what's two more hours? I mean, I'm sure you're game to talk about it. I know I needed people to talk about this show with. So figured I'd give you a content bonanza. What I was saying earlier is that the meatloaf thing, I don't like he was controlling. And as Ethan said, like he what was Kim was the neck, the neck that turned Barry's head. And I don't know. I mean, they very the in episode one, it's very much positioned as he's head of the household, but he's also so like docile. He never really seems that threatening. But I do think there were glimpses of what it is, was probably like behind closed doors. And I and I'm empathetic to Kim wanting to get out of that. I just think that, you know, while I understand that you're a victim of a lot of this, um, you're also you're also a grown woman and an adult who chose to have 10 children, who is responsible for especially the welfare of the minors. It's funny how season five, I was like starting to get on board with Barry. But then again, with those glimpses, he shared his weird ass arbitrary views of commercial Christmas. And I was like, nah, I'm out. It seems like he just randomly chose to like hate secular things, even though his family wasn't real as religious as him. And I like still don't really understand where it comes from. I'm sorry. If I'm going to commit to a restrictive religious doctrine that robs me of joy at every turn, at the very least, I'm going to have a holly and jolly Christmas. And I was actually quite charmed by the Christmas tree episode, um, but irritated that they were like, ew, what are these? Looking at like ornaments. Mariah was like putting them on as earrings and like mocking Christmas ornaments. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Cairo's Taylor Moms. And when did you become the arbiter of taste? Uh, like, anyway. Oh, wait, it's Cairo, isn't it? Ugh. It's confusing when to say something right means to that is wrong. Um, My God, I've never put more thought into Southwest Georgia towns. I mean, Thomasville, what an oasis. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. My hot daddy advice. If you're really guy, sorry, who claims to be a mega Christian who like loves Jesus, but like refuses to celebrate his birthday just because it's like not right on a technicality. Run. Not worth it. Giddy up jingle horse. Pick up your feet. Life's too short. It's hard enough to have to live life by all these rules, you know, when you're a kid just figuring stuff out. But it's even harder when you're the type that doesn't celebrate Christmas and doesn't even get to sing like megachurch bangers, like light the fire. Shout to the Lord. Because like they had a partridge family thing going on, but I, I don't even know what music they were singing. I don't know if they're traveling band. I mean, it was a cute. It was cute. It was like a whole family traveling band and they're talented. I think was maybe part of the original sell of the program to TLC. Um, part of me wonders, were they kind of like trying to brand themselves as like more devout than they were to try to fit the mold of what they thought TLC wanted? I was watching a TikTok where somebody was saying, again, allegedly, who knows, that Kim had been trying to get them on TV for a long time. I don't know if that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, they clearly did have like this traveling band that it wasn't like the Partridge family. If somebody stops doing laundry, the household comes to a grinding halt. Hosanna loves It's kind of like if Mumford and Sons was a praise band and the songs were bad. Anyway, um, I, I just don't want to let them off the hook for the religious piece because like even though their affiliation is not super clear, like still the religious red flags from the start are like confetti in this show. In the first episode, the dad, Barry, says um, Mariah is, what does he say? Like, she's opinionated. She's wired differently. Like, meaning she has the audacity to think for herself. Like, it's kind of fascinating to hear the tone they're trying to convey when they say things like independent or opinionated, because it's like, you know, implying that something's wrong with that child. She's a problem child that to be able to critically think is a psychological disorder. Not only are they incredibly sheltered on purpose from electronics and popular culture and all these things, the, the mom is talking about how the daughter, that the oldest daughter that ends up not being on the show, Hosanna, uh, did all the housework. And now Lydia does it all, who is 15. In the Duggars, they had like the buddy system where Basically, you got to a certain age and, you know, like this, like this assembly line where the next kid the mom would have, the like next oldest sibling was assigned to that kid and basically the parent of that kid. In the Plath's case, they have less kids, but a situation where you really never see the mom doing much. I mean, even up until the last season, even after she changed a lot, she moves out of the house and like brings all of her young children and just points to boxes and has them perform some manual labor. She's an, she's an interesting one. But yeah. It ma she makes it clear that her kids, uh, you know, have a lot of fun and makes this argument for being so like fun and fancy free and wholesome and untethered by the, the things that are of the world that may taint their innocence. Yet also makes it clear like how much labor is involved with being a part of the family. Families this large, like to operate day to day is like an immense challenge. And she talks about how much of this fell on Hosanna's shoulders in this YouTube clip I saw. Let me find it. We were in a store the other day and someone saw her with the little girl 
girls, they said, oh, do you help your mother? And she said, yes, I do. And I just kind of laughed, and we walked out of the store, and I said, you do all the cooking, cleaning, laundry. I mean, well, everybody does. When you have a large family, you have to structure things where everybody pitches in and helps. If somebody stops doing laundry, the household comes to a grinding halt. It's kind of the joke in the family. Hosanna's almost perfect. Hosanna had a college that offered a scholarship for her to do music, but what does she need college for? She's learning more by doing right now than she ever would sitting behind a desk in a college learning head, head knowledge. Yeah, I rewatched the first episode last night and like a producer asks Lydia, who's just like so sweet through and through, who's at the time 15, what she does for fun and she doesn't know. Like, she does not know what she does for fun because she doesn't have fun. <laughs> I, I, she loves her family and she loves the Lord. And, I, and I'm sure she has fun moments. But, like, her parents had more kids and they were able to take care of their for making the older kids care for the younger kids and making their schedule so filled with housework and helping the kids with homework, setting you up to have your main skill set be in the space of care work, ideally repeating the cycle and maintaining the insularity and isolation of the family for generations to come by having undereducated, over-parentified child brides that are set up to fail in the secular world. I, unlike Mariah, don't really have opinions, though. And I don't mean to harp on the religious piece. I just think it's very important to not forget the roots of this family because I found myself really starting to understand and empathize with different aspects of Kim and Barry, which is good. We want people to evolve. But I do think you it's un it's would not be accurate to talk about this show without drawing attention to the very real indoctrination these kids were forced under and how quickly the mom abandoned it, meaning she never really bought it. And I do think her motive was way more about control and a trauma response than it ever was about having a deep belief in something that was spiritual. Unlike Barry, who I think for him it was, once you get past that first season, it gets confusing as a viewer, is how the family's enforcement of their belief seems very rigid at first, but then becomes confusingly and selectively flexible. At one point, like Micah and Mariah are kicked out for their resistance to their parents' rules, but then like they kind of boomerang and come back with open arms. And even before that, like full arc where Mariah and Micah like turn on Olivia, like they absolutely start to welcome Mariah into their home, like ass cheeks out, which that's good for them. Like I, I want I want parents of kids to understand that once they become 18, they are no longer managers. They are consultants at best. And I don't think it's fair to completely shun or cut off or shame your children for simply thinking differently than you do. I'd argue if you are a good parent, it is a positive sign that your kid was raised to believe that they had the right to have a mind of their own. Again, you know, I always hesitate to talk about parenting because uh, a person with a five-month-old talking about parenting is the same energy as like a born-again 20-year-old couple that's been married for one month starting a YouTube channel to give people marriage tips. But like to honestly, to me, good parenting is setting a foundation based on your values, of course, but also raising kids in a way that honors who they are as well. The goal shouldn't be to make carbon copies of yourself. You don't want kids going out into the world judging everybody based on your worldview that they never put any critical thought into. 
You want confident, competent kids who are able to take their upbringing and pair it with their own life experiences so they get to a place where they can trust their own judgment. And you should trust that judgment, too, because at a point when you're an adult, like parents don't always know best because they aren't the ones living your life. And I mean, except for my parents, if you're listening, love you, never change. You're the real stars. Um, I'm just kidding. But no, my mom and I do talk about this a lot. Like, I think it's hard for parents when your role switches and your kids grow up. And I can totally see how you'd have a hard time adjusting from being able to guide someone you love so much and their decisions in their best interest, like to not having not only the legal right to not do so anymore, but more notably, like dealing with the emotional piece of how hard it is to know when someone is making a mistake and have to let it happen sometimes because like people have to learn their own lessons, you know? I digress, but like, I, you know, I'm a new parent. So the, the thing that I'm overthinking now is parenting stuff. And, um, you know, I guess I'm watching these shows closely now more than ever before as a how-to for what not to do. How to lose all your kids in 10 years, really, is another title of this show. Um, anyway, I was talking about how one of the things that made me confused and like watching the show and why I think it's so engaging is because of how it starts out so rigid traditional and you think it's going to be like every other TLC show. But over time, yes, they loosen up and seem to evolve. But the way that they enforce their beliefs becomes incredibly selective um, and convenient to like whoever they want to ostracize. And I mostly mean this in the context of Olivia. In Olivia's case, the daughter-in-law, she's the wife of the oldest boy, Ethan, the Kenneth the Page character. Um, like her being curious and firm and slightly unconventional, and I mean slightly unconventional, in her approach to faith and her lifestyle choices, like, you know, crazy things like drinking when she is of age, these innocuous things that just make Olivia slightly more open and not problematic to me by any degree, like they think that makes her eligible for an exorcism. And I mean, eventually what we find out is that the mom basically is a version of Olivia who didn't feel permission to push back on the systems she was trapped in 25 years ago. And I think a lot of their tension has to do with Kim really never doing the inner work and not realizing how many of her bad decisions are trauma responses. And I think her grappling with her son's wife having the gumption to push back so early in their marriage is triggering to her because by doing that, Olivia's life won't turn out like Kim's has. And it becomes clear that Kim is kind of hiding that she's deeply unhappy with the course her life has taken. I'm doing a lot of armchair psychology here, which is pretty inappropriate. So pardon me. You know, this is for the sake of entertainment and commentary. Don't listen to me. I'm just a clown who likes wordplay and deep diving religious trauma. And um, I brought up Lydia's anxiety, what I thought looked like an anxiety attack in the woods, because I think like we're seeing through Kim a live example of what it looks like and how much damage you leave in your wake when you're part of something that discourages the processing of your experiences and your traumas or discourages receiving outside counsel that is not a part of the church. Like the the approach to hardship and suffering so often being too invalidated or minimize it because it could be worse and or 
to not encourage any, um, you know, pursuit of accountability or wrongdoing, but rather accuse the victim of not being forgiving enough. Like the implications of not working through this stuff is embodied by Kim, who, because of not doing the work, a lot of her desire to control her kids had nothing to do with religion at all. Um, and, and like I said, a desire to be in control, I think it sounds like, you know, it's one thing to not do the work that time, but it, she also didn't do the work and how to like responsibly exit that situation and guide her children through her departure from these values and beliefs that were so strictly enforced onto them. They watched their siblings be disowned, essentially, for not following them. On what planet are they going to be able to do a 180 like you are when you're acting like they should be wholeheartedly accepting this change of heart when their whole lives they've been indoctrinated, conditioned to believe that if they depart from it, that your love is contingent upon their adherence to those beliefs you're so easily abandoning? I mean, that is confusing messaging. Her kids' unhappiness toward these beliefs were, you know, were invalidated at every turn. But when she personally feels unhappy, she gets to completely jump ship, take it all back. At least to me, it doesn't really seem to explain why she's abandoning that lifestyle and more so just explains why she's leaving the marriage. And I think most people understand why you would leave a marriage. I mean, maybe not if you're like 13 or younger in the other kid's case, but like no one's asking her to stay in a marriage she's unhappy with and uh, to, you know, only be a mom that she's not allowed to date. And like, I'm not saying any of that at all. That's not it. With Kim, the thing that kills me is that she acts confused when her, you know, young children aren't 100% accepting and excited for her and her new relationship and her new life and her moving out. And like, it's like, well, no shit. Like if they did the stuff you're doing now, they would have been disowned. But the second you want to do it, there's zero consequences, not opposed to her journey as an individual, as a woman and as a person that was in an unfair circumstance with their marriage. I just think that uh, for a person that was so concerned with protecting her kids, she's very much not concerned with the mixed messaging her 13 and under kids have now gotten. Trust me, I am not a Barry apologist. <laughs> But he really did handle the kids better. He really did. And I don't know if that's what the show showed us. I don't know if there's something I don't know about him. Again, haven't been in this game that long. But but Barry really handled the parenting piece better. If you're anything like Ethan and Olivia, you know who has the perfect accessories to put all your belongings in when you move every single year because you're running from your reality? Base travel, of course. This family has a lot of baggage, and so do I. But fortunately, mine is made by Base because we've all been there trying to fit everything we think we might need for a trip only to end up with a suitcase bursting at the seams. And with base, there's room for everything. From their roomy rollerboard that has compression technology so you can fit all your stuff in it, and two zipper pockets, and as we know, the memory foamish cushion handle that makes pulling it through the airport ever so luxurious, to the built-in weight indicator and the lock. And then every single one of their bags you can put on top of the rollerboard carry-on suitcase or the big suitcases because they all come with a trolley sleeve, which for me is an essential design feature of any accessory I take to the airport. Their weekender bag is infamous for how much stuff it can carry. It has this bottom compartment that you can fit, I mean, endless pairs of sandals in, probably three pairs of tennis shoes. I've fit two pairs of lug sole boots in it. Everything is so beautifully, functionally designed 
I have a diaper bag backpack that I just use at the airport. And I was so excited because I've been using it for like a year since before I had a kid. The back of the backpack zips out as like a pad. So you don't have to rely on finding a changing table. Or if you don't want to use the girls' public changing table, you can just use your backpack as a pad. And it has like a section for wipes and diapers and all, it, it, all the things. They've truly thought of everything because Ackerson model Shay Mitchell created base to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. Don't forget about the 360 degree gliding wheels my sister hard sold you a couple weeks ago. But also like washable bags for dirty clothes, interior pockets, everything you need to keep organized. I truly am obsessed with this company. I'm buying more luggage for tour. Comes in multiple sizes and colors. Every piece is made to look better with miles. You don't have to worry about it in cargo or overhead. And bases over 30,000 five-star reviews. Whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through security line, Base has your personal items covered. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash be there in five. Go to basetravel.com slash be there in five for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash be there in five. I find that people are so are so polarized by a lot of the characters from Kim to Barry, especially Olivia. Season five kind of ended where Mariah is more of a villain. And I actually thought she was maturing so beautifully and oftentimes had really sage uh, insights. And, you know, I just I was really proud of her. And then the turn she took in season five was upsetting. And uh, it was clear to me when her and Ethan were talking in Malibu that she was lying about Olivia and the passwords and something weird happened with her and Micah where they got back under the thumb of the parents and I can't quite figure out what it is but at one point Olivia kind of lost me I I do feel like she kind of lost her way and was so deep in trying to work through her own issues she wasn't able to be compassionate and understanding to other people having issues she was really toxic at a point in delivering ultimatums. And even though I hate to say it kills me because it's usually so misguided and cliche to argue a woman's being manipulative, I do think that Olivia unknowingly at times was new to her like therapy and her healing journey and maybe didn't understand how the weaponizing of boundaries is just as toxic as the very behavior you're trying to combat. But people don't need to respond perfectly to everything. I'm trying to watch this with, from the standpoint of like, when I was in my early 20s, I was nowhere near Olivia in terms of maturity or self-awareness or, you know, understanding the implications of some of the things I had been taught. My early 20s were just like a game of whack-a-mole with like deep-seated issues that would pop up. And I'd be like, nope, not today. Let's get back to playing flip cup and ignoring why I feel like I have to get incredibly drunk to feel remotely comfortable around male peers. And I don't, you guys know I'm not anti-therapy by any stretch. Uh, In fact, I think it's essential. I get concerned when I watch people like Olivia get so deep in their own self-discovery that they don't look away from the mirror for a hot second to look out the window, if you will, and see that there are other people around them, other people who have needs. And while yours are very important to honor and uphold, you know, boundaries are about personal advocacy and not about controlling other people's behavior. But I'm saying this as a person here to provide commentary on this show. As a human being, I I think it's deeply unfair to flatten these people's existence to what we see on the show. I know there's so much that we don't know behind the scenes. She has no control how the show is produced and edited. And 
Um, I think in most cases, like she was on the right side of history. But given that she's a victim of this very restrictive background that she's rebelling against or rather deconstructing, you know, responsibly, of course, she's not going to respond perfectly for how to navigate a complicated situation where a woman she saw as a mentor took her under a wing who she really loved, you know, completely rejected and ostracized her. And, you know, she's kind of trying to navigate her own healing in the absence of having that sort of familial love because she's not on good terms, it sounds like, with her own family, nor Ethan's family. And I think she, what she accomplished in terms of developing the the vocabulary and the understanding of what she had been through, what she didn't want for her life, you know, overcalling her political and religious views to align with who she is as a person and to be more accepting and inclusive. Like, that is not easy to do when you're so deeply indoctrinated in a world like that. And it seems like she really did it on her own. And I think she did a lot of great things for like Mariah and Micah, but it got to a place where she she was she was so angry and resentful and vengeful, I think, toward Kim that it was no longer about getting the kids out of an unhealthy environment. It was very much about, uh, you know, controlling them to her liking as a means to honestly it's, seek vengeance on Kim. Like literally, depending on the season, if you asked me about Olivia, I'd be like queen, icon, legend, perfection, no notes. But the the graveyard thing, like it just was a turning point for me being like, oh, God, I really thought. I really wanted to believe this This was an effort to free the kids from a genuinely abusive situation. And it was well-meaning. But that moment just was like, oh, this it, this really is all about her. But I will say, I mean, like, I would kill to have Olivia on the pod. Like, I would love to talk to her. I really in, overall enjoyed her. And she carried so much of the show just as a, as a character. And And I'm impressed by her strength. And I think that her story is important. And she has an incredible ability to vocalize her feelings that I find remarkable for her age and lack, lack of lived experience before separating from her family of origin. But I, yeah, there was just a couple seasons where as a viewer, we were like, for the love of God, please get divorced. Like, they were so clearly unhappy. And I think Ethan had gone as far as he was willing to accommodate her. And I feel bad for her because she married him when she was a different person who wanted different things before his family treated her badly. And like, but she was changing and Ethan wasn't changing. He was accommodating the changes as his perception of the duty of a husband. And I think we could all see that it had an expiration date. And sometimes he really got it. Like when he talked about how she hopes that Lydia understands that God's will is different from her mom's will. I was like, yes, he grew up and matured and got more firm, which I think something was something he needed to do to operate in the world. And Olivia is the one who, you know, took him to his first movie and his first margarita and his first Coke and first everything. Um, I mean, it's kind of amazing she even married him. I was so whew, dried up watching, like, the, watching a 20-year-old Ethan act like a toddler. I, I was just like, on what planet are you sexually attracted to this man? Like, maybe she didn't know, know enough other teenage boys to know. But I remember thinking when she was like doing a photography thing for Micah shirtless, wondering if she felt like she married the wrong man <laughs> because... Micah can be kind of a doofus, but like he's cute and fun and comedic relief a lot of times. Anyway, I have endless thoughts. I can see a lot of different sides. Barry's a big question mark to me, you guys. By the end of season five, I'm just like heartwarmed by him. And I'm so confused because I, I do think he's the the mastermind behind all of this that is quiet and maybe gets away with it. But also, I don't know. 
But as you'll hear at the end of the episode with Caroline, I develop a new theory over the course of the coming days where I think there's another mastermind at play who we need to honor and celebrate. But yeah, I think my my assumption for why this show like was so captivating to a lot of people is in a given scene or season, and I've never had more trouble developing a take about a show because I cannot figure out who's right, who's wrong, whose fault it is, who's the villain. And maybe that's the beauty of reality TV, that it's about a real family and the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Oh, my gosh. Oh, one more thing before we get into the combo with Caroline. Sorry, I'm, I'm like doing a small competition with myself where I see if I can talk for as excruciatingly long as Lydia sings in the forest. Just kidding. We'll get into it. Just a friendly reminder. If you are in New York, Richmond, Virginia, Philly, Atlanta, Denver, Salt Lake, San Francisco, Anaheim, Nashville, Dallas, Boston, Chicago, uh, I'm coming to you sometime in late Jan or Feb for the One in a Millennial Book Tour. The theme is Be There in 2005. In honor of my favorite mid-aunt's bonding ritual, the all-female pregame. Uh, and it'll be really, really fun. And the prices vary because the venue set them. I'm kind of, uh, I kind of, I don't have a ton of control over like a lot of the logistics and stuff, but I have control over the content. And I think it'll be really fun to see you because I haven't been on the road for two years. Go to be there at five.com slash live hyphen shows to buy tickets. And if you want to pre-order One in a Millennial, I've recorded all nine and a half hours of the audiobook while nine, while nine months pregnant, by the way. Good times. Um, more to come on that. But uh, it's it's something I'm really proud of. It's honestly like my life's work. <laughs> the point is really kind of that I wanted to like verbally manspread the minutia of the female millennial existence that for much of my life, I felt like I had to bury in favor of being a person that was more serious or sophisticated or intelligent because as women so often our interests are conflated with our intellect and I've always liked shallow things I've always been of the world I've always loved pop culture but it doesn't mean I haven't learned deep life lessons along the way and I want to reclaim all of the elements of, of girlhood and young womanhood that you're told don't matter but they very much do the times you're emotionally responding to the things that happen to you and you're told you're being dramatic the times you're getting lost in uh, entertainment and art but you're told you're rotting your brain. Like, I don't know. I just think so much of the experience of being a woman is marked by invisibility and shrinking yourself and your body and your interests in an effort to mold it more to the liking of the person you're talking to or to not take up too much space. But by design, I'm trying to take up the most space with this book and with this podcast because our experiences are worth talking about. And even if they're common or basic, just because it's not necessarily like unique doesn't mean that it's not distinct and it's not worth celebrating. As young women, we're talked to about marriage and babies a lot uh, in, you know, environment, religious environments like the Plas or even in the secular world. And uh, I write a lot about how interesting it is that by the time you finally get to a place where you can own yourself and your story and your mistakes and your interests and be more loud and proud, the world kind of begins to lobby once again for your invisibility as your entire life becomes so much more about who you are to other people as a wife, as a mom. I had a point to sharing that. Sorry for getting off topic. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> flashback. Because, well, yeah, in the while I was writing the book, I kind of realized that, like, I'm obsessively de detailing my one millennial life because I'm slowly kind of losing myself in the long and at times heartbreaking process of like trying to have a kid and I was doing IVF and all these things and 
I think I really wanted like other women my age to not feel defined by the milestones that they thought they'd reach or the person they thought they'd be by now, but like instead focus on who they already were. Um, And maybe that's because I needed to hear that the most. But to tie it back to Platteville, I was thinking about this last night, how, you know, the thing I feel like I need to get across whenever I talk about motherhood is like, as low as my expectations were and as scared of it as I was, and as scared as I was for my entire life to change, the thing that has surprised me is that like, yeah, my life has really changed a lot. But what I learned that, you know, I didn't expect is that I'm kind of exactly the same. Like, I'm obsessed with my baby, but I'm still me. I just was like, so I don't know what I was, what I thought was going to happen. But um, you lose a lot of time and sleep in the process, sure. But like, that's fine. You'll get it back. But I don't think you have to lose yourself. And um, yeah, now my days are filled with wheels on the bus and purple monkey in a bubblegum tree and trying every goddamn chew, chew toy under the sun. And I love every minute of it. Uh, but then he goes to bed and I stay up really late at night and do things like go through the Plath family's Venmo transactions. You know, we can't have it all. <laughs> I didn't find anything that juicy other that other than that, like Olivia and Ethan for like the entirety of their marriage. The thing that I find is so funny about some married couples, which more power to you if you really want to divide and conquer. But like, I don't think I've ever Venmoed my own husband, like after we were married. We have our own bank accounts and stuff. But like, we just kind of like figure out who pays for what. I just don't feel like I pay him back over Venmo. But they paid each other back and forth for like rent and utilities. And most notably and hilariously, on July 31st, 2020, she paid him for the tattoo. <laughs> but like, why? They were rich. I don't know. And then there was one funny transaction from February 12, 2019 that said, thanks for letting me use your credit card. Credit card emoji, winky face. And I was like, oh, does that have to do with like the MLM drama that we'd later learn at the end of season four? Thrilling. Point being, thank you for your patience. Just like I worked really hard on this and I have to promote it. And like, I'll not I'll stop talking about it in February. (laughs) And I just, I honest to God would love for you to read it um, or come see me on tour, if anything, to um, honor your own memories and existence and the things that you loved and the ways you spent your time that you might have not felt permission to be proud of while they were happening. And really, it's what I would call a reverse plath. Uh, it's like I have a, everything that is of the world matters. And I have a chapter called God Must Have Spent a Little Less Time on Me where I say all the things I learned in youth group didn't. So anyway. It's called a one millennial. Come on tour. Would love to see you. I swear to God, it's going to be fun. Anyway, you guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Plathville, population me. And after we thank our sponsors, we'll get right to it. Love ya. Bye. This episode of Be There in Five is brought to you by Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. When I tell you, I just made the most delicious homemade chocolate chip cookies, whose aromas permeated my house as I walked downstairs not knowing what to expect because I don't bake. And lo and behold, in my oven were these giant chocolate chunk cookies that I pulled out fresh, were cooked perfectly, and I displayed them on the kitchen counter like a GD June cleaver. And proudly was like, hey, bake some fresh cookies. You interested? Because I was excited to provide something for my family delicious that I baked. And while I didn't like, you know, make the dough, 
I, I did physically put them in the oven. So there's that. When I heard about Wild Grain, I was super interested to try it because I live in a huge city and I do not have near me a bakery where I can easily get like fresh artisanal breads like outside of just what's in the grocery aisle. And I was interested to try. And after those cookies, I was hooked. The sourdough bread and pasta is outstanding, too, because I like how sourdough bread tastes so much. But I literally never, ever have sourdough bread in my home. And I was very interested in having this fresh in the freezer. When I tell you it delivered, my God, in my box was the cookies and croissants that I put out when I have house guests because we have a lot more now to see the baby. But they blew everyone away. A little jam, a little butter. It's like, are we in Europe? The baking process was so remarkably simple. And the effect is that it like genuinely seems like I've been kneading dough all morning and I just baked you a fresh loaf of bread. And things in the grain family, I kind of forgot what it was like to be eating something so high quality and delicious and freshly baked and not just something that's sitting on my counter. And when I tell you I've had a great experience with wild grain, I can't emphasize that enough. There are no losers, only breadwinners when it comes to wild grain subscription boxes. That was not a tagline in the copy. I just made that up and, mm, wild grain, call me. Got some, got some ideas for wordplay. More where that came from. And now you can fully customize your wild grain box so you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box of all bread, all pasta, or all pastries, you can have it. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box. Plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash be there in five to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants, croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash be there in five. That's wildgrain.com slash be there in five. Or you can use promo code be there in five at checkout. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me well? Fine. I can. I okay. Since we last had you on the Be There in Five podcast, uh, you went on an EPL. Can you just share with the class how your EPL was? My EPL was amazing. EPL stands for Eat, Pray, Love. I use that tongue in cheek. Um, other people were like, I Googled EPL and it stands for English Premier League. And I was <laughs> like, real. it's not what that is. Um, it was amazing. I went from, I started in Berlin. Uh, I went from Berlin to Prague, to Austria, to Switzerland, and to Paris. And it was excellent. I regret not planning. It was very much like I bought a ticket to Berlin and then like went from there. I, I, I did a lot yeah. of like big city, big city, big city, relax, big city. And I was tired by the end of it. But I was gone for like five weeks and it was pretty amazing. And I'm proud of you because you, you've gone on the record as a person that doesn't love to travel or didn't used to. Yeah, I don't think I like love to travel. I think, okay, I think what I, what I want to circle back on that and maybe make an addendum <laughs> to sort of how I meant it. And it's like, I don't feel at home when I am traveling. It's kind of like the introvert, right. extrovert, extrovert sort of thing. It's like, where do you get your energy from? And it's like, I actually find it very uncomfortable to be outside of my comfort zone. That doesn't mean I don't like it and that I didn't enjoy it. But some people are like, I'm not happy unless like, I'm in a new place experiencing a new culture and I have no idea what's going on. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's not how I feel. Um, oh, yeah, me neither, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but I did used to have a canvas that said nothing good ever came from comfort zones. So <laughs> <laughs> now, did you paint it yourself or did you find it at a Marshall's? That one was probably a, a Marshall's or TJ's or, mm. you know, God forbid, a Burlington Coat Factory when they expanded into home decor. But I, um, I did paint the one that said, I saw a picture at my parents' house last week. Um, oh God, what was it? 
it was a canvas I painted in like swirly, curly, cursive, uh, la, <laughs> la vie est belle. <laughs> Caroline, in France, that's how we say life is beautiful. Yeah, I do. I actually knew that um, because of the Casey Anthony trial, because she had that tattooed on her ankle or her tramp. Um, and oh, I thought God. life really is beautiful. It really is. <laughs> and, and speaking of major global cities, one of my favorite things is when there is a U.S. city named after another global city, and its American pronunciation is actually a mispronunciation. Do you like have an Cairo example of this? Or yeah, Versailles. Exactly. <laughs> Cairo, Georgia is my favorite I ever, the, the first episode I ever watched of Welcome to Plathville. When they were like, we live in Georgia, Cairo, Georgia. I was like, I'm in. I'm in. Because <laughs> not only do you not live in Cairo, Georgia, you live in Cairo, Georgia. You know, you know too, the, America's Egypt. America's Egypt. Cairo, Georgia. <laughs> it is so funny. It's honestly like, it, it. that kind of stuff goes to, that sort of like, it, it kind of puts into perspective how young America is as a country. Mm-hmm. We're like a oh, yeah. global war power, but all of our cities are named like, Paris, Texas, and Cairo, Georgia, and Versailles. Like, get get a grip, you know? Absolutely get a grip. Versailles <laughs> is, like, honestly criminal. Like, that's the Brittany Cartwright town, right? <laughs> yeah, that's where they got Versailles, Kentucky, is where they got married. At the Versailles Castle, which, like, okay, was probably built in, like, 1982. The other thing that Plathville, like, never in my life have I heard so much or put as much thought into the metropolitan area of Tallahassee. No. Uh, while they talk about Tallahassee a lot, I might, I guess, so they're just really close to the panhandle or as the band would say, the Florida, Florida Georgia, Georgia line. line. I know. And I thought about that today. I was like, that's why they call it the Florida Georgia line. I'm not cultured. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know much outside of my yeah. East coast bubble. That's not just a pithy well, name. Should... The Florida Georgia line is a thing and people live there. It's a thing. And I feel like, yeah, it's worth clarifying at the top of this show that um, Caroline <laughs> openly doesn't know anything about anything except Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, <laughs> That's really all she true. cares about. <laughs> and, well, in terms of, and, and some Bravo shows, but in terms of what's going on, like out, like what people are talking about in the Reddit threads about shows and like what's happening on the Instagrams, it's only Dancing with the Stars. I only know what those people are doing. And otherwise, I'm watching the show and I'm going from that. Like in, in preparation for this episode, Kate's sending me TikToks. She's sending me like, Reddit thread captions. She's sending me like GeoCities websites that people have written about like younger Plath children. And I'm like, I would have never, I would have never. But that's why we love you, Kate, because we can rely. I don't need to know because you know. And that's where I, that's where I learn. You know, you're the professor. I'm just the student. Once I uh, go down a rabbit hole, the first place I go is archive.org. I'm, mm. I'm deep diving unpublished websites. That's where you get the most reliable information, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do appreciate you talking with me throughout the season of Dancing with the Stars. I dipped out for a while, but I'm back. Mm. And you're lost. You're I love you have a, a friend group thread about Dancing with the Stars and thinking about how pretentious a Dancing with the Stars fan thread would be. It makes me laugh. Totally. I love hot takes about technique that none of us can perform <laughs> yeah oh oh i mean it, that's the best part is that we're like oh yeah of course like carrie ann gave her a nine 
like hates women or you know and then every time they do a Roomba I'm like you call that a Roomba Hmm. (laughs) I wanted to ask you why have none of the Plaths been on Dancing with the Stars Mariah literally is a ballroom dancer oh that's such a good question maybe this is the year because I think it takes a while for them to become mainstream like cheer like Monica from cheer the coach and we will talk about cheer later as it as it compares to the Plaths I have a lot of thoughts but the Plaths might have finally hit mainstream enough for that to work. I, here's the thing, though. I don't want it to be Mariah. I want it to be Kim. I want to see Kim. Kim, Kim oh, loves Caroline, to dance. I do not. See, this we is know Kim wrong. loves to dance. <laughs> That's why we want her on the show. <laughs> I mean, I think it's time for a Plath. Ethan or Barry could go on, but they would be off the first week. Like, Kim probably wouldn't last that long either. Mariah, because she's tiny, she can do the spins. Right. When I when I was watching this show and then I realized she was a ballroom dancer, that I then started watching this show through the lens of what would be her most memorable year. And it's a real toss-up between having Max so heartlessly cheat on her and, you know, her writing a very original song title, Circus, that no one else has done before. If you're looking for something new, kind of fresh, definitely want to name your song Circus. I don't think she would choose the younger years. I think she would choose the Max Heartbreak, which I would also like to discuss because I don't really totally understand Max's version of that story. He was the wingman to a much older friend during his retirement party. And he then didn't do wingman things because then he like kissed the woman who he was supposed to be wingman. Like, I have a lot of questions for Max. Right. But I think she would I, pick that. It feels very Mariah to to actually think that for her to think that what that was her most memorable and devastating year. Would she do like a quick step to Rebel Yell? <laughs> <laughs> I would Wait, like. We've got to get out of this Venn diagram because we're the only two people in it. <laughs> Help! I'm trapped in a glass case of the plaffs. <laughs> that would be a funny. Um, like game just for us to do is mm-hmm. uh I think we just played it draft dancing with the stars contestants <laughs> and guess what they would choose <laughs> like like a fun game would actually them just hiring us to produce the show like we would be great no truly I we think would we'd be, be really really strong Kate I have um, to say okay. like to, yeah. I have to tell you I'm very impressed with the fact that like you know drugs really alter alter your mind but no one talks about how watching five seasons of me welcome to plathville um will in 12 days will alter your mind and i fear that you have been altered i fear that you are not the same person i knew before christmas and i'm I really want, i want to really make sure not. people know that this is not something you've been watching for five years you tuned into this what it was actually cr- december 23rd my sister and my dad and i watched so many episodes my mom had a rule on Christmas Eve, we could only watch Christmas related things. And I didn't know that they were going to have that Christmas tree episode in season five. Otherwise I would have skipped ahead. So we suffered through a day without Plathville. And literally when the clock struck midnight, I mean, we were back in it immediately. It was riveting. And my dad's the one that got me into it. And then as I started watching it, like, A, I have a background in understanding purity culture and evangelical Christianity. Two, it's a fascinating study of the complexities of familial relationships as time goes on and the kids become adults and with big families, there's always going to be one to two people on the outs. It's just statistics. And when you're dealing with people steeped in an extremist, religious, neglectful background that are so ill-prepared for the world, it's just this formula of 
comedy and introspection. And I just, right. I and really enjoyed the process. So I'm trying to think of what would be the best place to start. Cause I'll have like maybe introed some of the basics. I feel like maybe we should just get into us talking about how we feel about the characters, even like loosely, because I think that whatever, what I gather from Instagram the past 12 days is that the fun thing about the show is that every season you feel so differently about everybody. And then you'll have watched all five seasons and you have no idea who's right, who's wrong, who's the villain, who's who to believe what, and, and then I'll get people's opinions and I, yours included, I gather that I realize our completely opposite of mine. Whereas usually I feel like we're watching Mm. Bravo shows or something and like we're on the same page. I don't know if we will be here. So should we start with Kim and Barry, the, the patriarch and matriarch? Yeah, why not? Let's start with Kim and Barry. So tell me how you feel about Kim. It's interesting. It's an interesting question because I both can empathize with her and sympathize with her. And mm-hmm. I also think like she did a bad job of breaking whatever trauma cycle she was trying to break, or maybe mm-hmm. she didn't even think she had to break any. Um, I always find it very interesting when there is a woman who, and Michelle Duggar also falls into this category, cut out. probably on like a lesser scale than Kim, but like Kim was like a bad girl, self-proclaimed. Kim, like, mm-hmm. smoked weed. Kim listened to the Beastie Boys. Kim was, like, you know, for all intents and purposes of purity culture and, like, Christianity, fundamentalism, fundamental Christianity. Mm-hmm. She was bad. And Barry kind of saved her and to- sort of told her the way the, the world should mm-hmm. be and told her what her role in that world was going to be in it. Shoot. I think Barry came in you know, and said to Kim, who was like a bad girl or engaging in, you know, troublesome activity and said, like, let me show you the way like we're supposed to live. And like, this is God's way. And we're going to do it this way. And she just kind of went with Mm -hmm. it. Like, I feel for Kim, because Kim is almost having the same epiphany that Olivia did but much later on in her marriage and I think the reason that those two can't really get along is because they actually are more similar than both of them would like to admit you know I think that they actually have like a lot in common it's like the the a character parallel that great novels are built from like they are the same like it's so telling about her disdain for Olivia because Olivia's doing all the things Kim felt she could not do, but probably wanted to. At that point, Kim was so stuck because of the choice she made to not push back. And Olivia was able to achieve a much more flexible version. But also at the expense of her own son. And so to look at Ethan also mirroring Barry's experience is probably really difficult for Kim because she loves her son. There's a lot of things about Kim, though, I don't think she's a bad person. And I think even the ways that Olivia tried to frame Kim as a bad person, it sounded, it always has sounded to me like Kim was a desperate person. Like even the money thing, the credit card thing, which we can get into. And I watched the Olivia TikTok that you sent me sort of detailing her side. Of it. I still really thought it was just sad which is sort of mm. how I always feel about like MLM culture because it real like it targets 
vulnerable people who don't have yeah. any other means of financially supporting themselves. And it's, if you were to tell me yeah. that Kim's like involvement in, and for non-plath heads, the idea is that like Olivia held a grudge against Kim for a really long time because Kim had like signed up for an MLM and then using Ethan's name, added her, her to, him to her credit line or whatever and made Ethan part of her downline so that she could purchase things on behalf of Ethan, which would then benefit her. Right. I mean, it sucks, but it's also like, yeah, find a loophole in this system that someone told you was going to make you a lot of money. You clearly weren't part of the top 1% of this MLM. You got screwed. You're looking Mm, for like any way to recoup your losses. So it's like it, it, uh, part of my issue with the plaths in general is that they do sort of, and you said this earlier to me, like they tiptoe around the biggest issue, which is that like, these are systems that are meant to make them fail or feel like failure. And then all of them just end up running around pointing fingers at each other. And and the whole thing just sort of makes me really sad. I think Kim did as, as best she could while also acknowledging she's human and she's, you know, not infallible. Yeah, I think that's a really, like, kind and empathetic take that I don't disagree with. And per the MLM thing, I mean, I obviously we know that MLMs take advantage of vulnerable people and it's impossible to succeed. But part of me was like, honestly, it's not the worst idea. Like, you know, if you're experiencing market saturation and you need a better downline – you know, look to gestation, just have a ton of kids and get those kids have to have kids and add their kids. To- <laughs> yeah. That is, that's, that is actually called downlining when you have that many children. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that is. But no I, one joins an cause MLM because like, they're doing well, you know? Oh, of course not. Um, but I guess it's also where you choose to focus. So with that story, I appreciate your focus on well, Kim must have been desperate to do that because the thing that I'm focused on is regardless of the semantics of what the credit card was being used for or whatever, it's fundamentally strange and a problem that a 20-year-old didn't have access to their own bank account and was being like charged allegedly without their consent and that when Olivia obtained the password because she was married to him, Kim asked for the changed password as if she should have the right to the finances of her married 20 year old son. And I just think that there's always that double side of like, I can see her plight, but also her behavior is wrong. It's wrong. But I think Kim is not an outlier in this culture. Like, you know, look at the Duggars, look at the documentary about what's it called? I don't remember, but that one, you know, shiny, happy people. That one. Yeah. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Kim was wrong, but Kim wasn't doing anything that any of these people weren't doing. And it's like interesting because we all make our own choices. You know, we're all responsible for our own behavior. Yes, of course. It never struck me as like crazy to think like, oh my gosh, this woman thinks she has a right to her 20 year old married son's finances. When it's like, why is your 20-year-old son married? Why is your 20-year-old son never had a glass of Coca-Cola? Why don't doesn't he know what a bra is when he sees one in a store? You know what I mean? Like, when right, you add right. up all of that information, it's like, this is just another very tiny slice of the pie, not the thing that, like, blows the whole thing wide open. 
They were raised yeah, like in symptoms a, in versus Cairo. root causes. Exactly. Yeah. I think this was like a big symptom. And this is always kind of what we see in this idea of like, oh, I'm going to live this, this godly life and be sort of self-righteous about it. There's always the seedy underbelly. And I honestly think that like, if this is the seediest underbelly we get, like Kim, like using Ethan's points to buy more organic toothpaste, I feel like they could have done a lot worse. I think the problem is, I think there was a lot worse. That was the one like damning thing Olivia said at the end of season four. And just that one comment made everybody turn on her except Ethan. I think that there was such a level of discomfort and disapproval with any specificity about what they had done. And because I, the whole time I was watching, I felt confused too. Like, what have they done to her? Like, obviously the driveway confrontation was incredibly rude. And we know that um, she was told she has like evil spirits. And in the fundamentalist world, the (laughs) problem with that is any kind of pushback and dissent or lack of forgiveness or... Mm. they're really um, hung up on bitterness. All of those things are are sins and they mean the devil is within you. And so hence the evil spirits. So, but Olivia is smart enough and has deconstructed to a point where she knows that those are tools to absolve people of any accountability. So it's like, I fuck you over. That's not the problem. The problem is you won't forgive me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like, it's toxic, but agree. It's not like it's criminal. Yeah. I Okay. So the, I'm not, absol- a couple and things I'm not absolving Kim. her. I'm just saying like, I have problems with Olivia too. I'm not absolving Kim of anything. I am saying, I don't think it's that shocking that she did what she did. Um, I wish Kim had just owned it and been like, yeah, I was like in a finan- in financial straits and I got fucked by my young living coach. And this is how I chose Mm -hmm. to solve the problem. And it was wrong rather than be like, that's actually not what happened. Kim was wrong there. Just own it. But Olivia being like, she was in an MLM and then bought a bunch of organic toothpaste on behalf of my 20 year old husband is like, y'all get it together. Like in a private place. Like, I don't care about this stuff. (laughs) You know, like, I I know you do, but I'm like, just work it out. You're going to, it's going to be okay. Is one of your other major problems with Olivia, how many confessionals she wore that green shirt for? You know what? I didn't notice. Um, I would I'll um, have to go back and check. It was during her Poison it. Ivy era. I, the times <laughs> Olivia lost me was the redheaded Olivia, and I think she was going through it. Yeah. I think that, and we'll get to Olivia in a minute, but the one thing I, okay, so Kim is so such a confusing character to me. Not only does it seem like by the end of the show, even producers really want you to be Team Barry, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Kim, it was interesting to finish the show and then go back and watch the beginning and hear Kim express what seemed at the time to be these this belief system. Mm-hmm. And in that context, yeah, she'd be a victim and a perpetrator, the fundamentalist culture is so much bigger than her and they're far from the exception. However, my theory is that Barry's the fundamentalist with the beliefs, hence his inflexibility. I think Kim really wasn't even into that part of it or doing it for any other higher power, noble cause other than, like you said, her own trauma response. I think her desire to shelter and protect and isolate had everything to do with her own life and her own preferences, not her belief system. And since they were preferences and not beliefs, she dropped them so fast and did such a 180 on her family. 
And she raised everybody in that environment, denied them a right to education, laughed in Hosanna's face when she got a scholarship because she said she'd learn more in Ohio with her husband being a wife than learning head stuff, to quote her. Like she just she did so much damage. And then she had an epiphany, which I completely understand in an oppressive marriage like she deserved to get out of it. I would never want somebody to stay in that circumstance. But I think that I just cannot get past the from a character standpoint that she bailed on her kids who she was exclusively schooling and tried to force them to understand her in a way that felt kind of abrupt and insensitive for kids like 8, 10, and 13 when she was like, but don't you want me to be happy? And I'm in this relationship. And she just, all she talked about for so long was like, I've met someone, I'm seeing someone. And it just, it didn't seem like any recourse was done. Like I made a mistake. I need to help rebuild my family. And like, that's the thing that I think is such a problem about Kim, but I do empathize with her too. I think I'm just kind of angry with her because I just rewatched the pilot and I heard what she said about Hosanna's scholarship and I just got so mad. (laughs) You know, Kim though, everyone is kind of in this boat of like doing what they want when they want to do it. And for a really long time, Kim did what she wanted and when she wanted to do it. Now she's doing what she wants when she wants to do it. It's just a different thing. It's like Kim has come to all of these with with very limited conclusions and, and sort of like desires, wishes, um, and actions like without any sort of like therapy. And that's the thing that I feel like is missing the most from this show. And even though Olivia like has obviously done some work in therapy like there's still so much anger with her that she pretends isn't there like and that Mm. and you can see that from the can I give you a hug no clip that you sent me and I don't remember what that episode was chilling was was that the one where like Olivia was waiting in the car and she like wouldn't come out and then she did or was this this was before they moved to Tampa right that was the one she spearheaded where she wanted to say goodbye to the kids and she didn't apologize she just said I forgive you and uh they said, we didn't mean to hurt you. And she goes, well, I think you did, but that's my, I mean, she was so, so firm. And you know, I love a strong woman, but she also reads to me as a person who is new ish to therapy and is almost overcorrecting in her posture. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. There's an anger there. That's like, you can still get what you need without having to do this. And And I feel like I see that in myself sometimes. I feel like I was very much like, you know, game recognized game watching an Olivia in some of these scenes. The, the other thing about <laughs> Olivia, the, the other Olivia a thing about Olivia that I really empathize and sympathize with it, with her in relation to Kim is there's a little bit of self-righteousness in Olivia. Like she thinks she's better than mm. them and she does not do a good job hiding that you can have your own boundaries and your own way of living. That thing, that's why I think Kim for me, when you frame it in the context of like what she did to her youngest children by sort of like switching up her entire, she will now have two sets of children who were raised completely exactly. differently. That exactly. to me, that to me makes me more angry and makes me want to hold her more accountable than just looking at her actions from like an individual standpoint where I'm just like, Kim did this. It doesn't hurt me. Like I, I mostly feel bad for her. And then when you think about like, Okay, but if we're thinking of her as a character, and what did she do to these other characters, her youngest children, it makes me empathize with her a lot less. You know, it's like you had kids, like this was your choice, you did this, you chose to raise them one way, and then you bailed. It's crazy. I I think I have a lot of anger that I don't even know where it comes from when people (laughs) choose to have this many kids, and they cannot take care of them, and it results in the parentification of their oldest kids to take care of the younger ones. 
Yeah. And it's not that, you know, she's a mom and she can't go date and, you know, get it on with panhandle Ken. Like, I'm happy for her. I want her to live her best life. I, I but honestly you have to be a mom ear to ear. But like, I'm what so... made you smile from ear to ear? What made you smile from ear to ear? Lydia's up in her room. Uh, singing kind of an ear bleed an ear bleeding key of uh, gospel music and and over here's the Beastie Boys downstairs. The the camera goes downstairs and we see Kim in a mini skirt, her and all of her no, daughters. She's shoes. in a skirt. Oh, she's, she's in a skirt. It's a skirt with with da- kitten heel dance shoes, and they are doing and they're going like what this. I can only describe as terms. lyrical typo. Yeah, <laughs> lyrical typo. <laughs> And then it's like, and it's like, I love to dance. And it just keeps going back to Kim doing this. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I, when you earlier, you're like, well, Kim, Kim's a dancer. I'm like, I, I, I don't think we have proof of that. We Kim's saw her at the dance studio. She never opened putting her leg on a, on the bar. But that, the, the dance studio was just a cover for Kim to have some me time, some space. No, like, that's why I was smiling from ear to ear. I was like, she yeah. needs this. She deserves this. And, and. You know, Caroline, when I was pregnant, all I thought about was, wow, if I was in a circumstance, if I lived in yesteryear without birth control or my religion didn't believe in it or I was in quiverful or whatever. Yeah. And they kept me pregnant for my entire adult life. Yeah. Uh, Like when I was sitting there so miserable, I was like, I am way too tired to fight for my rights, for my own self-interest. If they keep you pregnant, they keep you quiet. And you don't, Mm. she had no time to do any sort of introspection uh, or reevaluation of why she made the choices she did. And I think that like, I'm always psychoanalyzing everything I'm doing, but like some people really don't think about it. And I can see how she got in so deep for so long. It's just, yeah, I think the decision to have that many kids and then not even carry through with the responsibility of their education and honestly feelings. Like I, the way she talked about the divorce to them, I was, I would have absolutely crumbled. I think she's she's an interesting character I could analyze for eternity. I mean, for sure. I think, I think like, you know, you were so tired and you also um, came into this decision on your own. You also have your own financial standing with your, without your Mm -hmm. husband, you know, like she is, she, Mm -hmm. the thing is, is that like, and this is the part where, when Kim talked about this with her friend, Mama Sue, I felt, Oh, yes, you're right. I felt like I was really, that this was my part where I was empathizing with her, where I felt for her was she was like, my job was to have these children and Barry's job and, and nurture them. And Barry's job was to nurture me and no one nurtured me. And like, I was like, I get it. Like, she's in a system like yes she's she's also she's perpetrating the systems but like the system doesn't work even if it's a bad system like it still has to work like if the husband's not Mm, taking care of the wife then the wife can't take care of the kids and while I don't agree with the system in general like that's the system they built and so for them to be like it's falling apart like even they can acknowledge that their own systems are falling apart you know and That's no one such is taking care of her. Point. Thank you. I can't really imagine it because I can't even imagine being pregnant one time, let alone 10 times. But I can imagine a world in which you're like, my role is to spend my life pregnant and my husband's going to take care of me and nurture me and, you know, make all the money, keep me off my feet while I'm gestating, you know, for 18 years of my life. <laughs> And if that's not the case, and you can tell Barry was like very not engaged, you know, in in any mm-hmm. sort of 
it's like, yeah, then you start to ask for, you know, what else is there? But I also think that that is part of being married and being in a partnership all the time, regardless of how many kids you have, if you even have them at all. It's like, there was so much talk between her and Barry and Ethan and Olivia of like, Ethan mad at Olivia for growing, but he's not mad at her for growing. He's, they're both upset that they grew apart. You're both going to grow. Um, But it was very, but Ethan and Barry sort of talk similarly about how they view their wives, which is in within the role of this like system that both women no, don't subscribe to, but that Olivia did kind of subscribe to when she got married at 20. So I don't think it's like that unreasonable that Ethan was like, yeah, like look at my parents. And right. at the end of the day, it's the women who, not, if this always benefits the man, right? So if anyone is going to disrupt the system, it's going to be the the women. And then they're going to be yelled at for like being selfish or for like prioritizing their needs over their kids or whatever. But it's like, they were always feeding into the system that only pretended to benefit them. And it never did. And Olivia just figured that out really, really early. And Kim figured it out after she had already like devoted her life to this way of living. And the other thing I want to say, because it's something that you said, and, and, and it reminded me of this was when I used to work as a reporter, there would always be these stories that ran that were like this 34 year old just retired. And like, here's how you can do it. And I used to, as an editor, like push back on that and be like, we can interview that person when he's 75. Like if this person is 75 and he says, I retired when I was 34 and like, here's how I did it. That's an interesting story. I don't care about someone who like has six months of runway to like not work and then like probably it's a terrible financial to to... decision yeah exactly and the opportunity cost to... of how even richer you could be by still working is insane exactly. right and then also just like i bet he's not retired this is a person who's going to stop working for two years and then who's going to be forced back to work because this is not a livable situation but we'll right. never read the story about how he was forced back to go to work and i think with kim the way that she lived was like this worked really well for me and it's like call me when all of your children are over 25 I don't want to hear about how well this life works for your child's still seven. There's still a lot of ways this can go wrong. And I think five seasons of wow. watching this show really proved that. Like they were so self-righteous in that first episode. We let our children walk around barefoot. They have all the animals. We're on the farm and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you can tell me all up and down, you know, the, the Cairo coast that this is the way to live. But like, I only believe you if all of your children are like out of the house totally able to make their own decisions and all say, yeah, this was the best way to do it. The irony is their entire approach to parenting was to favor kids and keep them kids. Most parents parent to make capable adults. They went as far as to like, they were the kind of fundamentalists that didn't have birth certificates for their kids. Allegedly with, this is something that fundamentalist groups will do and not wanting the state to have access to the kids. And it's a way, it's a means of control. So they can't even engage with formal institutions. The plus all had to get birth certificates to be able to air on TLC after 2017, which is really interesting. They, they mm. weren't eligible to like participate in society and yeah. that's so they'll stay on that farm and they have nowhere really to go. And y- you're absolutely right that you won't, you wouldn't know if something was working until you did a postmortem and they didn't realize their system was breaking down until they had a critical mass of children over 18 or over 16, really. But Lydia and all was never eyes on them. Astray. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And all in the center of the, the ring, and, just like the circus. Just, just, just like a circus. <laughs> and Kate, think about it. Like, you know, vaccine mandates, publicly mandated school systems, none of these things were enough to get the plaques to essentially fill out the paperwork to recognize their children as citizens of the country and of the world until TLC with the paycheck came. You know, think about that right. level of desperation there. And, I, and I'm not saying right. all desperation is good and like, you know, and not without like fault or flaw, but like that they were, they were really desperate and then started out the show being like, we're amazing. And like, everything is great. And it's like, if everything was great, I don't think you would need the show. Were they desperate or did they want to evangelize their lifestyle? I mean, I, I felt people that way about be... the Duggars, but not about the Plaths, weirdly. <laughs> The show was not as overtly religious. And the other thing that's hard about the Plaths is because they trust nothing organized or institutionalized. And this is also why their system didn't work because it's DIY. They didn't identify with like any one formal organization. Like uh, some of their homeschooling materials were gothered, like from IBLP Origins and Olivia Plath said or she met them at a conference of that man that wrote that book that's basically like abuse your child from yeah. Shiny Happy People. But they aren't tech. Lydia went hard to be like, we are not IBLP. Um, but like, I, I still don't really understand what they are because it's it's Barry and Kim's sector of fundamentalism. Yeah. And I, I, I just I don't really think there's any structure whatsoever to what they believe. I think really all they thought was that like, if we don't put our kids in the world, the world can't hurt our kids. I think that's right. really all they thought. And that's just not how but what was the I, end I game there. Works. Yeah. I think they just thought like, yeah. Well, it would work if you married somebody in that community, which Ethan technically did. I mean, Olivia, Olivia's family was part of Quiverful, the Duggar thing that be fruitful and multiply like belief of having as many kids as possible. And she was IBLP and Oh, that world was so familiar to her. I think that like she had started getting curious. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I changed a lot uh, in my 20s and even more in my 30s probably. And yeah, it's not guaranteed that you'll grow in parallel with your partner. A lot of people grow apart and that's totally fine. But I think what's really sad and hard about people like Barry, it's not only just, you know, the whole system serves the man. It's also the sad thing of like, I really think they see these women as vessels, not as whole people. I don't think Kim was emotionally cared for because he didn't respect her as a complex human with needs. Absolutely. And I think Ethan did respect Olivia, but did not know how to meet those needs. And it doesn't matter how much you're like, you are a full human and you deserve X, Y, and Z. If you're her partner and can't give it to her, it doesn't matter. She needs to get it from someone else or somewhere else. I think- Barry was probably also very clear about this. And at the time, Kim was like, great. I think that's a confusing part of life. When Olivia was talking about vows and stuff, I was like, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I think people really go hard for promises in ways that like you might not be able to keep them and it's chill. Like, can you remind me your word? It's like, she was saying that like, I used to believe that marital vows were of the utmost sanctity like to hold them high above anything else and she's like they're just words and I was like they literally are like what do you, they are just what words. Do you I think mean, of it? sometimes they're I, words like you're the peanut butter to my jelly yeah, <laughs> I wrote my own and now I'm divorced what do you want me to do I mean like they're, they're, I think the I think the problem uh, is that a lot of people own. think 
Oh, uh, I highly recommend it for your next marriage. Oh, thank you. I'll take that into account. <laughs> um, you know, I think people don't think about marriage as something that is like, maybe I certainly never thought about it. Just from my own experience, though, I think that like, it's a modern day and age, you know, I think the, the, the best relationship, oh, Carrie Bradshaw said it, you know, the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself. With we, yourself. Live, we have to die with ourselves, right? I'm not going to die with anyone. I'm going to die with me. That's it. You know, no one goes into marriage thinking it's going to end. But I also think that at 20 years old, if you are very much against the idea of divorce or there's not even a belief in your mind that like, Hey, like if things don't work out, like there is always a door. If I am not feeling safe or if I am not feeling like fulfilled and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, there's always a door or whatever. You should not be getting married when you're 20. I mean, I think that is like the biggest juxtaposition of like, you want to make this lifelong decision before your frontal lobe even finishes forming. You have like six more years for that. Even in Olivia, I think also are growing at the exact right pace that people their age grow and think about things and realize things about themselves. And they are unfortunately married. Like that's why people don't get married mm-hmm. when they're 20, because it's really difficult to, to predict how you're going to feel about things when you're 26 or 30 or 40. Totally. It is so counterintuitive to the human developmental process that it's by design because it's so it's so incredibly effective to keep yeah. people in a system if you can convince them to get married when they don't know better and to yeah. hold Tell them marriage that the divorce at, is the at, worst exactly yeah it, equate it with your salvation like mormonism you know like you can only go to heaven if it's like with your husband and like men can remarry and still go to heaven but women can't like it's it's like all this stuff tied up in these existential things that like, you don't want to compromise. So you're like, what's my worldly happiness for, you know, a mansion in the gated community of the skies. And (laughs) I feel like, yeah, the the, the young marriage is really the crux of it. It's, it's all of it. It's the reason Kim was stuck and stayed as long as she did. It was the reason there was such tension with Olivia. And it was hard as a viewer to watch this drag out over five seasons and be like, Oh my God, you are never going to make it. And I think it was interesting to watch the life slowly sucked out of Ethan. Not in a way that I'm saying Olivia is at fault for that. It's not like she was trying to drain him of his spirit. It's just that they weren't right for each other. And it was draining both of them. And I never, I didn't know how to feel about him. And I liked him at points, but him being like her having that beautiful speech about the system that serves men and the privilege of it, you being the one it serves. And then his response about like, When's the last time you cooked a meal? I was like, oh my God, you just made me disregard everything I ever liked about you because you never yeah. actually changed. And that's exactly what Barry's response would be too. I mean, like- But not you, Micah. But not Micah. <laughs> but not Micah. I mean, and look, if we're talking about who is the hero in all of this, it's Micah and probably Isaac. If there's one thing I learned while I was in labor for 36 hours and experienced three full rotations of doctors, it's that not all docs are created equal. I learned a lot about myself in terms of what I need in like bedside manner and my ability to feel comfortable around them. And this is why I'm obsessed with ZocDoc and I genuinely use it all the time. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. And most importantly for me, 
It's also a place where you can find in book doctors who will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you because ZocDoc gives you access to tens of thousands of doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So you can make sure the, you know, vibes are vibing, if you will, before you meet in real life. There's so many apps out there that like don't even solve a problem, but ZocDoc really is solving a problem I've always had. I think it's really hard to a find doctors and specialists and especially have any sort of idea of their availability. Waiting on the line with a receptionist is frustrating to ask if they accept your insurance only to find out they can't take you for several months. Sometimes things are urgent and you just need the you know person that's available the soonest. Or sometimes it's personal and challenging and you want to be able to read verify reviews about bedside manner and hear from other patients how comfortable they felt. And you can filter specifically by ones that take your insurance that are located near you and treat basically any condition you are searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. And I did last week with a doctor, in fact, that I've seen for years. And I saw that they had a virtual option. I was like, what? I, I've been going to you in person like a clown all this time. I'd rather call you from the warmth of my basement. I love this app and use it. And if you're anything like me, you should too. And if you want to go to ZocDoc.com slash be there in five and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash be there in five. ZocDoc.com slash be there in five. But um, my question to you <laughs> is that because I have not watched the first season since 2020, but I remember... I remember watching it and, and texting like everyone I knew being like, you have to watch the show. So I'm, I'm glad you got to it at the end of 2023. But did Olivia marry Ethan fully knowing you can change your mind whenever you want? When they got married, I just want a part of me to understand like, what did Ethan think he was marrying into? I think that's always the part that's been missing for me. So my understanding is that, so they showed a flashback on it might have been the most recent season of her and Ethan exchanging vows and she vowed to like honor let him be the head of the household yeah it was an honor and obey type thing and Mm -hmm. my opinion is that like in in every person I think is a seeker or a settler and I think these giant families have both and there are people that are at peace with how everything is and they could stay there forever and that is right with their soul and you're not better than them for not wanting that um, but the seekers are, are, have something deep within them where they're they're curious, they are looking for something else, and it might take them a while to come into it. And I think she had started seeking um, when she married him, and he knew she was curious and a little unconventional, but they got married within the confines of the values that their families shared. And, um, you know, not living together first, like, you know, at least saying they didn't have sex first. And I saw a clip of Olivia talking about how, um, she like found porn at 16. Like she started YouTubing like naked girls, naked boys, and then would go to suggested videos. And then she discovered porn. She would go on her mom's phone and like delete her web history. And so like, and, um, like I sent you that post from Isaac that showed him getting baptized by Barry in a swamp probably, or a hotel pool if we're, it's real housewives <laughs> canon. Yep. And, yep. uh, and he was like, I've been able to overcome my addictions. And that's just like, a. a a code word for porn usually in these communities. Yeah. But anyway, I just, I've seen enough evidence that was like, o- Olivia was curious, but their vows were traditional. And at the end, him being like, you're not the woman I married. Um, I think that that That's is true. what he was signing up for. And to his credit, he, I think he did the best he could for like the emotional capacity he has at this of moment. Of course, yes. These kids were not set up 
for any of this. And I even think about being, and I'm sure you have moments like this too. I'm sure everyone does. Like I was in therapy from like an early age. I have parents who are like very pro therapy. Like, yeah, every family has dysfunction. Yes. Every person has issues, but like, I can't imagine the problems I would have had none of that been available to me. And now I'm on like television and I think that they've all right. handled it in a really, really, especially the kids rather. I think the parents, I give a little bit more um, pressure to be better too. But I think the kids really, I think Ethan has handled it as well as he could. Right. Like with the tools he had available to him, which is literally nothing, he did a good job. But there were always these flashes of like what his actual expectations were. Right. And what I thought was really interesting was that scene. It was like Thanksgiving and it was when Nathan, Olivia's brother, was living with them. I think it was the beginning of season four. Mariah had just ended things with Max, despite promise ring promises. And oh, thank you, promise. Thank you, promises. <laughs> and hey, um, you guys want to go around this table and try on my pinky ring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And all the girls being like, yes, yeah. Um, Lydia going to pick it out. That was so cute. Um, so cute. And and Olivia is making dinner. Nathan is helping. And Mariah and Ethan are just standing in the garage very much being just standing there not even trying to right. make themselves look busy right or being like hey like let's go to the store we'll get some like drinks or whatever like and they literally say oh we're standing here so that she doesn't ask us to help and what i thought was interesting <laughs> about that is that um and i'm sure what the producers were really piqued by is they were looking for another duggerish cash cow but They've already had like the Bates family or bringing, you know, bringing up Bates or whatever. And it's like, all of those are really similar. And it's like, you go into this fundamentalist Christian situation and it's like, Mariah is wearing a crop top and she refuses to cook dinner. But like all these other things kind of stay the same. And I thought that it was so interesting that like, there were little inklings of like, Nathan was very happy to help with dinner. It wasn't always this immediate, like the men don't cook. And like the women do everything, right? Like Mariah and Mariah and yeah. Ethan's like biggest fight was because Mariah like refused to do dishes, and mm-hmm. like Ethan was always like, "Do your damn dishes," you know, which is just not something that like the Duggars would ever even get to. Like you would never have like Jessa Duggar refusing to like clean something. And I would normally say that that could be a response to like be basically being a glorified housekeeper as an older daughter, but I don't think Mariah mm. ever was. I think it was no. Hosanna and it skipped to Lydia and you can tell Lydia resents Mariah. And in the last season, there was that scene where the sisters came to Mariah's loft and Mariah was like, as a big sister, I just want, like, she was trying to give life advice and Lydia did it at a talking edge. She was like, yeah, I mean, I guess she's the big sister now. Like she was kind of like, <laughs> I could tell she was frustrated because she was, she was raised those girls and Mariah was off being the rebel that we now see on her forearm. And uh, mm-hmm. Mariah's 180 in season five is, was, is so interesting to me. Her and Micah villainizing Olivia the way they did and going back to their parents is kind of fascinating because they were uh. kicked out of the house in, in season right. two and they, their lifestyles are, more even visibly extreme than Olivia's ever was, but the parents welcome them with open arms and she becomes the enemy. And I, I found that like hard to follow. Interesting. 
kind of theory that after the divorce, there was some sort of negotiation or payout or I don't know, circumstance presented to Micah and Mariah, Mariah, because suddenly they live in their own places. They seem to be doing fine, but they both do not work. And mm-hmm. they're now in well, no, with their Micah family getting rebaptized. Excuse me. I mean, he's, you know, he's doing Miami <laughs> swim week, um, but he'll get there. I think, I, do, I don't know. I think that there, there was a clear financial change this past season. And I think that there was some incentive for them to rehabilitate things with their family. I didn't really see the direct tie to Olivia being the problem when she's largely who showed them the world. She took Mariah to San Francisco where she saw gays for the first time. Mm-hmm. Olivia and really took her under her wing. <laughs> I know, but you think about you think about it, Kate. Like when you think about it, rather as a family than a system. Olivia really what Olivia should have done very early on, even if she was already married, it should have just been between her and Ethan. She tried to put octopus arm everywhere she was. Yeah. She wanted to change the plaques. She wanted to change where I told you earlier there was a lot of I felt I drew a lot of parallels between the earlier seasons of Real Housewives of New Jersey. You know, when Jacqueline Larita is trying to like mend fences between Teresa and Melissa. And it's like, this is never going to work for you. Family is always going to stick together. Eventually, the family did end up breaking up again. But at first, they went against Jacqueline. Like, you are, if you're not their family, like, no matter how how fucked up they are, Olivia kind of acted like a cop who like came into the force to like change things from the inside. You can do like meaningful things in your role. But you can't break down this entire system. You can take your sister-in-law who's yearning for some freedom and show her the gays in San Francisco. But at the end of the day, Mariah's going to make her own choices. Those are Mariah's parents. Yeah. Like she, I, I feel like Olivia spent a lot of time being like, let me change every sort of aspect of Ethan's family and not enough time being like, Ethan, here's the person I am and the marriage that I need and the partner that I need. She went right for like, let me change this about your mom. Let me tell your dad what's up. Let me tell your brother and your sister. Like, let's live with them. I want to talk to your siblings, but I don't want your parents to be involved. It was like too, like she obviously was going to make an enemy, make herself an enemy to these people. If she had just focused on one, there might've been a better domino effect but she almost like put her cards on the table and showed her hand like too soon. And I think Olivia, Olivia's downfall is not coming to the conclusion fast enough, or maybe it is fast enough because look at Kim, it took her 25 years. But I think the next stage for Olivia is just saying, I need what I need. And I have to understand that I'm not going to get it from any of these people. And I think mm-hmm. she got there at the end of season five, but it was really difficult watching her mm-hmm. really try to fit a square peg into a round hole like you're enlightened we get it, it like t- come join us <laughs> come join us we get it like we don't want to live like that I mean I get, <laughs> but I'm also not trying to like walk into the Duggar's house and tell everyone what's up and I think like it's totally right. fine that that you know Hosanna and Lydia are like motherly caregivers maybe given the choice they still would have made that choice but what's sad is that it's like 
Mariah's still trying to be like, and I'm the older sister and you should listen to me. She still subscribes to some sort of level of like hierarchical thinking of like that family system. And Lydia still subscribes to the fact that she thinks that doing all the housework makes her like no more than Mariah. Mariah has seen gays, Lydia. Okay. She knows things. <laughs> she has She's seen gays. Cotton candy. <laughs> She's eaten cotton candy and seen gay people. <laughs> well, I was like, of course, they these girls probably did not know anything about San Francisco. And Olivia's like, where should we go? And the producers are like, to the Castro. But yeah, I think Olivia, she's such an interesting character to me because she is the expert on her own experience and she's right about her own experience with her own family. And you can yeah. tell that she did the work and you can tell her heart's in the right place, but her approach was all wrong for especially the poison Ivy seasons. And I think it's a common misconception about boundaries that people have, which is yeah. boundaries are supposed to be negotiations of how to people make to something do. work for your needs. Yeah. She was kind of very focused on what they did and very focused on boundaries as a means to control people. And that's very yeah. Kim adjacent. <laughs> very. And um, I and I think that it was hard. It was frustrating for the viewer, meaning me, <laughs> to know from the beginning this marriage was never going to work. And watch Ethan set his family on fire to keep Olivia warm when I knew that he was not the right partner for her and the marriage wouldn't work out and none of this was going to be worth it. I respected that Ethan stood up for her as much as he did. And I think that he got so in the doghouse with her when he didn't stand up to her in the first driveway argument that he overcorrected in the second driveway argument, nearly beat up his own father. And at that point, Barry was Freddie Spaghetti. He wasn't the Dwayne The Rock Johnson he he is now. He wasn't. (laughs) He wasn't, a beef head. he wasn't a beefhead, beefhead Barry. No, he wasn't Beefcake a beefhead. He, 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 now he's a beefhead who will listen to meatloaf. I mean, he's a, he's a, a wacky dude that by the end I was like falling for and I'm, I need to check myself oh, because Jesus. I think I not falling for it. He became more emotionally available. And I thought the way he approached his kids was more nurturing and understanding. And I don't know if he was heartbroken or not. And if he was kind of playing that up, but like, I actually think that Barry's evolution was quite positive and he was so stubborn and so inflexible. Literally the only thing that Kim could have ever done to make him change was to leave him. And I I don't think he thought she ever would. And I think I I look at Barry and I think Jojo, it's just a little too late. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm glad, but where have you been 25 years? For sure. You know? Oh, agree. Barry's not innocent at all, but the last season really paints him so positively. Mm -hmm. I know it does. And And I think he's, I think, well, I guess Ethan said Kim's the neck that turns Barry's head, but Barry's the one with the crazy beliefs, and he's the one afraid of the secular world. Kim never was. She was of the world. Barry was listening to the Beastie family's Boys. not even religious. Like, his Minnesota family's normal. Me. Yeah. It always scares me when someone comes up with this out of nowhere. It's like, I want to be <laughs> right. able, like, let me blame your upbringing. Like, why did you, cho- you know what I mean? You didn't why even did you have the internet. Where did you find internet? this way of life? I kind of have a theory that like they closed the series with um with Circus, which was poignant. And it's not actually, it's kind of, I could get into it. Um, circus by Mariah, but, not Circus by Brittany. R- correct. Correct. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, there are three types of people in the world. The ones that entertain, the ones that observe, <laughs> and the ones that know absolutely nothing about popular culture <laughs> and therefore do not know if the song Circus existed. Um, yeah. But I think in my head at the end of, all of this. Let's say they don't do another season. 
is kind mm. of like Lydia in her prayer closet. And Taylor Swift's mastermind is playing. And <laughs> Lydia's there like, oh, my God, God answered all my prayers. Because where are we now? Mariah's back. Micah's back. Olivia's gone. Ethan's back. They probably have a healthier relationship with their mom. And Lydia got what she always wanted, which was a very close relationship with her dad. In some cases, we plan and God laughs. In Lydia's case, she planned and God said, okie doke. And God Here's everything said, you, you ever it. wanted. You got it, Olivia. And I mean, Lydia. her prayers wow, were answered. so true. So I think Lydia's kind of like, I'm the mastermind and now you're mine. I made all this happen. My prayers were answered. And she's just, if anything, going to double down in her faith. I love, I love this theory. What do you, what about God saying your parents are getting divorced? Well, I did give her a a reason to be closer to her dad. So it's like, God bless the broken road. Exactly. I, I -hmm. actually think that, um, she resented her mom more than she realized, especially given the the parentification housekeeper vibe, even, even watching Kim move and her pointing to boxes and having all of her child do her manual labor. I, I was like, this woman, I don't think ever really lifted a finger. I, I think Lydia wanted a closer relationship with her dad. And she said that she did and it humanized her parents. And I think the you know fun thing about Christianity is that if something good happens, it's a blessing. If something bad happens, it's an intentional stumbling block or trial (laughs) that leads you to a blessing. So really, God does no wrong. That's so true. I love thinking about it that way because I want, out of all of them, I want to see Lydia win. She just seems like the one who's not doing things self-serving in a self-serving way. Right. My question, a question to you is about sort of Ethan standing up to Olivia um, when Olivia wouldn't get out of the car for Josh's memorial at the cemetery, Joshua's oh, memorial at the cemetery. If you could believe it, there's 40 more minutes where that came from. I just had too much plath content and I didn't know what to do with it all. <laughs> but yeah, Caroline goes into her very proud, profound cheer parallel. I played the full seven minute video of Olivia explaining that the credit card was about an MLM downline because I just realized that couldn't remember what was the context I had from the show versus the research I had done. And I realized we didn't really explain that. But um, Anyway, so hope you don't mind. Originally, this whole thing was going to be paywalled, but at least gave you part of it. But if you feel up for it, go to patreon.com slash be there in five. I'm an independent creator. I'm not part of a network. It helps me run the show. And I'm so appreciative for those of you on that platform. And it's especially fun to hear from you in the comments because I know people have a lot of hot takes about this show. So looking forward to it. I find I just find myself always... <laughs> There's so many things that bother me as a consumer that I have to do as a creator and it endlessly tortures me, like over promotion of my projects and or charging you when I wish I didn't have to. Uh, but alas, you know, paid labor is helpful when you need like child care and stuff. But anyway, thank you for bearing with me. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, what a journey it was to watch Welcome to Plathville. Uh, I hope it's now population me and you. And yeah, head to Patreon for more, and I will talk to you next week. Come see me on tour. Share with a friend at Kate Kennedy at Be There in Five on Instagram. I'll make a Plathville highlight for the stuff I had shared uh, before you watch, because I think a lot of you were avoiding spoilers. Um, and write and review five stars. It's so helpful if you don't mind. And uh, yeah, that's all from me. As always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. <laughs>